Amen, amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Go ahead and get comfortable in your chair, but not too comfortable, okay? I'm known to put a couple people to sleep every once in a while, just saying. <laughs> but hey, welcome to Northridge Church. And you know, I, I can remember the first time Ashley and I, we, we saved up enough money to go on a cruise, to go on vacation, and it was our first cruise, and I remember getting to the port and seeing this massive ship, and, and we kind of navigated the line, and we got through all the things that we needed to get through. We got on the boat, and we went to our room, and we kind of got situated. We unpacked our bags, and we were ready for just a week of relaxing, and so we, we kind of got situated, and then we navigated around the boat just to see what, what it offered the amenities that were there, just explored a little bit, and then we had dinner. And then something interesting happened, something I'd never experienced on a vacation before, but that night, everybody on, on, on the boat had to go through what they call like emergency protocols. And so they basically split up the entire boat and they put people in quadrants and they have a guide who, who walks through like, hey, if there was an emergency to happen in this next week, here's exactly what you need to do. And I thought in my head, like, this is the last thing that I want to be thinking about is like, yo, hey, if this, if this boat kind of breaks in two and we're going down, here's what you need to do. Like, I'm on vacation. Like, point me to the all-you-can-eat buffet. Like, I don't want to do this emergency protocol. Thank you for that, amen. I, you know, I'm feeling that. It is almost lunchtime, isn't it? And so we, we go to the, to the guide, and, and he's walking through all these, these details, and at the end of it, he's like, you know, hey, listen, here's the best piece, piece of advice that I can give you. If, if something really does happen, if there's an emergency on this boat, let me tell you the best piece of advice that I can give you. Find somebody who is calm, who is still, and follow them. Interesting, right? That just stuck out to me, like, wow, because in our culture today, stillness Calmness is often viewed as weakness. But this guy said, hey, I want you to know something. Like, hey, when, when it all goes crazy and people are running everywhere and there's pandemonium, find somebody who is still and calm and that's who you should follow. And when we look at the nation of Israel in this moment in their history, what we're actually going to see is a, a, a moment where they are vulnerable, the, the, the situation is out of their control, and the best response that they can give, the most powerful response that they can give, is being still. If you got your Bibles, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 is where we're going to be. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to cover really three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, up to 15. And so we're going to kind of navigate these waters. And so grab your app, follow along. You can take notes. And as you make your way to Exodus 12, I just want to say, what's up? And welcome to Northridge Church. I want you to know how honored we are that you took a piece of your weekend and, and really are hanging out with us to grow in your faith and, and to be part of our family. And so welcome home. Thanks for being here. No matter where you're joining us from, what device you're using, whether you're on your television, your computer, or your phone, or you're at one of our campuses at Webster or Rochester, man, I'm grateful that you're here this morning. Welcome home and welcome to Northridge Church. And we've been kind of wrestling through this series. We're four weeks in called Moses. And we're looking at Moses as the leader of the nation of Israel. And I want to pick up right where we left off last week. You see, Moses came to, he came, he came back to Egypt and he stands before Pharaoh and he says, God wants you to let Israel go. They've been in slavery. And Pharaoh consistently says, no, no. Moses brings nine plagues through the power of God and yet it's not enough to change what Pharaoh says. He consistently says no. And so God brings his spirit in Egypt, the last plague, and he kills every firstborn from animals to humans. 
And, and so this, this devastation comes through and he makes a way for Israel to get out of it where if they would take the blood of a lamb and paint it on their doorframe, that that wrath of God, the judgment of God would pass over. And so this plague comes through Egypt. It leaves a lot of devastation. In the night, Pharaoh loses his heir to the kingdom, his firstborn son. And in the night, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron. It says this in Exodus 12. It says, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people. You and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Now, can you imagine this moment in, in history? Can you imagine this moment for the nation of Israel? They've been in, in bondage. They've been oppressed. They've been forced to do manual labor for 400 years. And finally, they hear the news you're free to go. I mean, can you imagine the uh, emotion, the celebration, what it must have felt like them for, for them to walk into their freedom and here God provides a way for that to happen. They get to go into the freedom and, and what's interesting is that just brings questions in and of itself, right? Okay, we're free, but where do we go now? Like, we've been slaves for generation after generation. Like, okay, we're free, but where do we go? We've never been anywhere outside of Egypt. What, what are we going to do? And what does freedom feel like? And what, what, what are we going to do? But God had plans. God wasn't just going to lead his people into freedom. He was, he was going to not only let them free, he's going to lead them into their freedom. And he does it in this really interesting way. Exodus 13, it says this, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And so God leads his people into their freedom by a, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. And it's this imagery that, that God is the ultimate leader of the nation of Israel. He's guiding them into freedom in, in unique ways. But what's interesting is, is all the celebration that's happening in, in Israel as they leave Egypt. If you go back to Egypt, there's a lot of mourning. Pharaoh has just lost his son. And after he gets over the emotions of losing his son, his heart begins to harden. He begins to change his mind. Exodus 14, this is what it says. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and he took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites. And so Pharaoh realizes, <laughs> what have I done? He looks over his empire, his vision for the future, and he realizes he has nobody to fulfill it. All the things that were built in Egypt were built on the back of slaves, and Pharaoh realizes, what have we done? We've lost our workforce. We need to go back and get them. The problem is, is Israel has been in freedom for about 20 days. They've left Egypt around 20 days ago. They're pursuing freedom. And so Pharaoh, Pharaoh realizes he needs to get his chariots and his army ready and moving because they have to pick up the pace to catch up with Israel. 
And so here Israel is walking towards their freedom, celebrating, they're living in this jubilee, and then all of a sudden, their emotions change because the freedom that they saw is now stripped from them as they look over their shoulders, and there is their oppressor. The people who kept them in bondage for over 400 years are now over their shoulder, ready to take them back. And they respond to God, Exodus 14, it says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And so the nation of Israel sees their oppressor and they just cry out to God, why God? Why would you let us walk into freedom for 20 days and then pull the rug from out from under us? Like, what's the point, God? Just let, you would just be better off leaving us in slavery. What are you doing? Why, God? And there's that consistent question that we often ask God. That common question that God gets from really everybody in the world. Why, God? Why are you doing this? What, what is going on, God? I don't get you. And what we often do is we, we, we judge the Israelites for their response. I mean, come on, how can they say this when they just saw God work miraculously through 10 plagues? Like, don't, don't they, they still doubt God after seeing his, his majesty and his power? And I agree, man, there's, maybe Israelites' response wasn't the best, but I actually think we can glean something from it. Something that is relevant to our culture today because the one thing I love about uh, the nation of Israel is when they feel frustrated with God, when they're disappointed by God, they're not afraid to be real and authentic and transparent with God. They have no problem just saying, God, what are you doing and why aren't you, what's going on, God? I don't get you. You're frustrating me, God. And I think that's something that as Christians today, we've lost in our culture, our, our culture of social media and pretending like everything's okay when it's not, this culture of being fake and pretend. We've forgotten as, as Christians to just go to God with whatever we have. To just say to God, God, I'm frustrated with you. God, I don't agree with you right now. God, I don't get what you're doing. Israel was not afraid to be raw and real with God. And yet, I think many of us today are afraid to actually just be real with God. Can I tell you something today? God is not afraid of your candor. God is not afraid of your honesty. God is not afraid of your problems or your frustration or your disappointment. In fact, I believe he desires it from you. Like any good relationship, that is how we grow in intimacy. When we are honest with the people we love, when we are honest with God. And man, if my wife is struggling with me, if my wife is disappointed in me, if my wife is, is mad at me, I want to know. Because I want to be able to fix the problem. I want to attend to what I, I did to hurt her. And God is the same way. When you struggle with him, when you're bothered by him, when you don't get him, guess what? He wants you to go to him. In fact, look what the Bible says. Psalm 62, it says this, trust in him in all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. And God desires your candor. He's not afraid of it. He wants you to be real and honest. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel does. They're facing a Red Sea, and an army is getting ready to take them back to slavery. And ultimately, what they want is just the blessing of freedom from God. They're, they're after God's blessing to bless their nation, to make them a free nation. And here's what I've learned about the blessings of God. I, I would bet that probably all of us or the vast majority of us would love to receive the blessings of God, blessings that God has for us. But here's what I've found to be true in my life and many people's lives. It doesn't always work this way, but usually there's a barrier 
between me and God's blessing. A barrier that I have to learn to trust God in and push through to receive his blessing. This is what's happening for the nation of Israel. There's a barrier, it's called the Red Sea. And they have to trust God's going to provide. And if they choose to do that, they're gonna see God in a unique way and they're gonna receive his blessing. And the same thing happens for us. We have to learn to trust God through the barriers in order to receive his blessings. But here's what often happens to us. The moment the barrier comes, that's when we usually give up on God. The barrier is almost God's revelation is saying, hey, you're getting close to, to getting what I want to do in you and through you. You're getting close to my, bar- to my blessing. But often the barrier is very, the, the, the big thing that often keeps us from God's blessings because we're not willing to trust him and, and push through that blessing. And so here Israel is, they've got a barrier. It's the Red Sea. The nation of uh, Egypt is coming after to take them back to slavery. And so their leader stands up and he says this to the people. He says, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And man, when I read that verse, I kind of get a little pumped. I kind of puff out my chest. I'm like, man, Moses, you are awesome. This is great. Let's go, baby. I'm ready to fight. But what's interesting is is when I read Moses' words to the the nation of Israel, I view it from a 2020 lens where I know what happens at the end of the story. So I'm all pumped up and jazzed up because I know what God's about ready to do. But if you look at what Moses says from the perspective of the Israelites, who have no clue what's going to happen next in their story, and you listen to Moses' words, logically, they're really stupid and dumb. Because think about this. They are ready to go to war with the Egyptian army. Oh, and they're going to lose that battle. Oh, and if they try to cross the Red Sea, they're going to drown and and, and die. And Moses is like, hey, guys, don't be afraid. Really, Moses? Like, that's the best you can offer us in this moment is like, hey, we all should be terrified. And you're like, hey, guys, don't be afraid. Okay, Moses, right, cool. Thanks for that. Oh, and then he goes on. He's like, hey, don't be afraid. And you know what we need to do right now? We just need to be still. Moses, there's an army coming after us. We need to not be still. We need to gather up all the weapons that we might have and start getting ready to fight. Or we need to get our floaties and start heading towards the Red Sea because we're going to die if we stay still, Moses. But thanks for the advice. But don't miss what is happening in Moses right now. Because let's flash back to week two. Same kind of circumstances. Moses walks out of the palace and he sees the oppression of his people. It bothers him. He sees an, an Egyptian slave master whipping a Hebrew, an Israelite, and it bothers Moses. And what does he do? He acts on his own accord, and he goes and he kills the, the slave master, and he watches Israel. He's like, Are you ready to walk with me to freedom? And they're like, no. And his, his plan fails. And now in this moment in Moses' life, God has closed the gap of his readiness. And now Moses stands up and he sees the circumstance. He wants freedom for his people, but this time he doesn't act. In fact, he tells the nation of Israel, hey, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared because guess what? I get it. This situation is out of our control. We can't do anything to fix this, but guess what? I'm believing God's gonna come through. 
I can't do anything right now. I know I'm your leader, but I'm banking, I'm trusting, and my hope is in something that is greater than me. Do you see the difference in leadership in just this short period of time in Moses? He used to act on his own accord. Now he's banking on God to come through, and he looks at his room and says, you know what we can do right now? We can just be still. And those words are found other places in the Bible. Psalms 46, it actually says, be still. And the result of your stillness is that you will know he is God. But it's interesting, right? In our culture today, stillness is viewed as weakness. Powerful people move, they act, they do. And and we view stillness, calmness as weakness. But it's the very thing that that Moses tells the nation of Israel to do. And those two words, be still, remind us of two very important things in our lives. When we are still in situations like the Red Sea, when we're still, what it reminds us of is our vulnerability. That we are vulnerable. Israel is learning that lesson right now because here's the facts. If they choose to fight the Egyptians, they're going to lose that battle 100% of the time. They have no chance of winning that war. If they choose to go the Red Sea route and swim across it, sure, maybe a couple good swimmers will make it, but most of them are going to die. They are in the most vulnerable place that you can be in in life, where your situation is out of your control, where you can't be the solution. And I think if 2020 has taught us anything in life, it's how vulnerable we are. That our lives can change in an instant and there's really nothing we can say about it. That a virus can come to to our world and and into our society and into our homes and it can maybe make us lose our jobs uh, with us performing well and it can make us lose family members that we love and cherish and really we can't say anything about it because we're vulnerable. And that's how the nation of Israel is right there. They're vulnerable. But yet, be still reminds us of our vulnerability. But yet, the truth is, it also reminds us of something greater. Even though we're vulnerable, it reminds us of God's ability. That there's not a situation that you might feel in right now that you're vulnerable in, that you've lost control, that you can't fix the problem. The great news is, there's no situation that God can't come through in your life. Because he's able and he's capable. And and my two favorite words in in, in all the Bible are, but God. But God. Because it doesn't matter what what happens in life, anything is possible with God. And we look at the Bible and, and we see that's really the story of the Bible, but God. I was lost, but God found me. I was dead, but God made me alive. And Jesus talks about this when he was on earth. He says this in Matthew chapter 19. He says, Jesus looked at them intently. Now, don't miss the description of Jesus. This is really important. He looks at them intently. This is important. Listen to this, guys. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. What the nation of Israel is dealing with, from a human perspective, they're going to die 100% of the time. They're going to go back to slavery 100% of the time. But with God, everything is possible. Everything is possible. And here's the conclusion we have to come to. The conclusion that Israel is going to learn and the conclusion we must learn from this story is the way we know God is God best is when we can't do anything and we realize only God can do something. We don't like to be in those circumstances. Those circumstances are not fun. We would never pick them. 
to put ourselves in situations where it is beyond our control, where we can't do anything to fix the problem. No one picks those circumstances in life. No one wants to be there, but yet in those circumstances is when we get a glimpse of God that maybe we've never seen before, where we get to experience the power of God like we've never experienced before. And I think if there is a couple in our church that knows this to be true, it would be Ben and Aaron Lyman. You see, they faced circumstances in their life that were way bigger than them, that they couldn't intervene on, and they had to bank on God. Check out their story. So I was 36 weeks pregnant with my third child when I actually just hadn't gained enough weight during my pregnancy, and so I went to my doctor, and she was like, oh, Aaron, you haven't really gained a lot of weight, and you're measuring a little bit small. You should probably go for an ultrasound just to see um, if everything is okay, if the baby's growing okay. So I was like, that's fine. And I remember thinking it was so stupid because I'm a physician, and I take care of pregnant women, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is exactly the same amount of weight I gained with my other children, and they were large children, and I'm not at all worried about this. So I told Ben, I was like... Don't come to this appointment, this is stupid. They just kept scanning Gracie's head over and over and over again, and I'm not an ultrasound technician, but I knew like we're spending way too much time on this ultrasound to figure out whether this baby has gained enough weight. And at that point, um, they brought in the um, maternal fetal medicine doctor, and they were like, we just have to get extra pictures. And then after the extra pictures, they're like, okay, we just need you to come into this room and we need to talk to you about your baby. So I was like, these are not good signs. I think through that experience, what I really realized is part of this journey was God just telling me that he was enough. Like, I, he was enough. He was gonna guide me through this whole thing, whether or not other people were gonna be there with me, but he was gonna be enough in that moment. And so now I think about it, like I was mad that Ben wasn't there, but that was like a real spiritual time for me. Like God was with me from that very beginning and that first time that we found out anything was wrong. So in that little room, they basically told us that Gracie didn't have most of the left side of her brain. So Erin called me um, after she met with a doctor because I was watching the kids at home. And, um, you know, I was just like, hey, how'd it go? And she was pretty much crying on the phone. She gave me, like, you know, worst case scenarios that they said um, Gracie could come out brain dead, she could come out um, not being able to walk, she could come out not being able to use all sorts of things. She might have to be on ventilators, all these, like, worst case scenarios. And um, after that, we had to take some time to, to process, praying together, um, talking about different situations, what we, what it would be like to have a child with a disability, what are we gonna have to do, you know, one day, um, you know, at work, I just, I had a couple free periods at school, so I said, I'm gonna go and pray, and uh, um, I was thinking to myself, you know, what, what can I pray for? I, obviously, I want Gracie to be healed, but I, I said to myself, I know God has promises for us in the Bible, and, um, you know, he never promised us that we're going to have a pain-free life, that people aren't going to be born with disabilities or problems. But he has promised us things that we can take to him, promises that he has our best in, in mind. So he didn't make a mistake when he created Gracie. So I pray that I knew he um, made Gracie perfect in his will. Um, I knew that he 
made a promise to us that he would always be there for us and that we could rely on him. He's not leaving us alone in this situation. So I prayed that, you know, um, we would feel his comfort and his peace in this time and be able to rely on him and that he could use this disability, whatever it was, for his glory and to bring others closer to him. After she was born, she did great. Like, was breathing, was doing fine, didn't have to be on a respirator or anything. Um, and so I think secretly, like I thought like, God healed her and she's fine. And she had an MRI the following day and she wasn't fine. She had half of her brain missing mostly, but they basically found out from that MRI that she had a brain bleed. She had a major stroke on the left side of her head. And so she wasn't healed. And I think that time where like knowing that God did a miracle and the fact that she was born breathing, but that it didn't ultimately heal her was just an interesting time of knowing like, like what's your plan for this girl's life? But it was, you know, like around six months with milestones where she wasn't doing what our other kids had done. So we noticed some of the things like she wasn't able to uh, hold herself up. So we thought pretty early that we want to do all we can to get her, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy, all the things that we could do to help her, um, you know, strengthen that right side. I actually re clearly remember she would get therapy with this girl named Riley, and Riley is an amazing little girl, but she, like, she doesn't talk and she can't interact. And I just remember at that point, like, seeing all these different parents with kids who have these significant disabilities and just thinking, like, God's presence is in this place. And I was just, like, so drawn to that place, like, I would have never known about this place had my daughter not had these disabilities. I would have never come into um, relationship with these people had my daughter not had this but these are people that I could um, tell about God's love and tell Gracie's story to them because they have similar stories but I have the hope of Jesus in my story and that is what makes all the difference for our daughter I think. better about spending time with the Lord um, since I have had to struggle through all of this stuff over the last three years than I have ever been in my life before because I feel totally dependent on him in those situations and so I think that I have been able to deal with my fear by daily bringing my fears before the Lord and just saying like okay you brought us this far and you're gonna keep bringing us in each next step of the way and he has been faithful this far in doing so many good things through our daughter and her life um, that just even being able to tell her her story, just think about how faithful God is in that, like he's going to keep being faithful. See, the way we know God best sometimes is when we're forced into circumstances that we can't control that are bigger than us, and we have to trust God. And that's exactly what happened to, to Ben and Aaron. There was a barrier 
in between them and God's blessing. And, and, and oftentimes when we trust God through the barrier, he provides his blessing. And, and it doesn't always come the way we think it will. It doesn't always pan out the way we want it to. I mean, God didn't completely heal little Gracie, but yet he still provided his blessing for their family because they learned to trust him in maybe one of the worst storms they'll ever face. And so here the nation of Israel is, there's a barrier in between their freedom. It's called the Red Sea. And God intervenes. Verse 21, it says this, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And so here God divides the sea, and he allows the nation of Israel to walk into their freedom. And man, I just wish I could get a glimpse of what this, this circumstance, this moment looked like. And God really shows off because they walk on dry ground. I mean, you think about a sea, the, the bottom of a sea is always damp and moist, but this moment it was dry. And we often think that the greatest blessing that the Israelites received was them being able to walk into freedom, but I actually think the blessing happened in verse 31. It says, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You see, one of the greatest blessings God gives us in life is not the intervention. It's what we learn through his provision. It's we learn that in any circumstance, we can trust God because there's nothing he can't do. But yet what's interesting about this story is we often miss a detail about God, a choice that God made that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You see, if you go back to, to when Pharaoh said that, that the Israelites can go, God makes this really interesting choice that we often miss in this story. Exodus 13, look what it says. It says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Now, now this doesn't make any sense to me because here the nation of Israel is free to go from slavery and, and, and you would think, when it comes to slavery, you want to take the fastest route out of Egypt. But God doesn't lead the nation of Israel on, on the fastest route. He actually takes them on the long journey to the Red Sea. Now, why? This doesn't make any sense in my head because, hey, when I put something in my GPS, I get three options. I always pick the fastest one. I want to go from point A to point B as quick as I can go. And, and we're not talking about going to the grocery store here. We're talking about a nation walking into freedom. But yet God chooses to lead them on a longer journey than necessary. Why? See, I, I think when we look at it from the full picture, we get it. Because God took the long road so Israel could experience full deliverance. You see, what God did by, by leading the nation of Israel to the Red Sea is he not only taught them to trust them, but he allowed them to experience freedom to the fullest. Because when Israel crossed that Red Sea, guess what God did? The Egyptians followed after and he crushed their oppressor. So when they stepped into freedom, they wouldn't have to look over their shoulder wondering if Pharaoh or Egypt was coming back to get them. No, he destroyed their oppressor, their, 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 the people who put them into slavery, so they could walk into freedom fully. And when we look at this story, when we, when we look at, at the, these circumstances in the, in the nation of Israel, what it leads to us practically is we have to realize that just like the Israelites, you and I are going to face Red Seas. 
We are going to in life. I don't, I don't care who you are, where you come from, your background. Every single one of us is going to face circumstances in our life like the Red Sea, where it's beyond our control, where we can't fix it. And the question is, what do we do? How do we respond? What does God want from us as Christ followers in those moments? And I think Moses actually gives us the recipe. He says this, he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So what do we do? What do we do when life throws us a curveball? What do we do when we face circumstances that we cannot win? Where they're bigger than we are. Well, Moses tells us exactly what we should do. He says, first and foremost, don't be afraid. I would say, fear not. Can I tell you today, you don't have to be afraid in circumstances in your life when you feel like you should be afraid. You don't have to. God made a way so that you can push fear aside and choose faith. I mean, if we ever needed to learn that lesson, maybe it's right now in our current culture. Because everything says we should be afraid. Right? There's a virus and there's an election and all of us, you know what many Christians are doing right now and in the past six months is we're choosing fear. We're, we're, we're letting anxiety and worry rage in our lives and God says you don't have to. I want you to know this today. This is really important. Whether you're at one of our campuses or you're watching online, listen to me. You do not have to be afraid. And I'm not saying that so you can go live however you want. You can throw your mask to the curb. I'm saying that because of who your God is. I'm saying that because God has made a way where you, in in moments where you should be afraid, you can trust him and bank on him. And because of that, you don't have to live in fear. Maybe for some of you, that could just be freeing today. Just let your fear go away. And you wonder how that happens. Well, I'll tell you how it happens in my life because I'm not void of fear. I've felt fear in this season. And when I feel fear creeping into my life, I do a couple things. The first thing I do is I just pray out loud. And it's weird and it's awkward and I don't care. Where I just say, God, I'm afraid. God, I don't know what's happening. God, God, would you take my fear away? Would you crush it? Would you make it move out of my body and my heart and my head? Sometimes I'll just recite scripture. It's why it's important to be in God's word every day. And I'll just say, you know, I'm not gonna worry about tomorrow because today's got enough in it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring out John 3, 16, for God loved me enough and he gave up his one and only son. And I'm just gonna preach scripture over my own life. Or sometimes I'm just going to say the name of Jesus. I'm just going to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Can I tell you today, there is power in the name of Jesus. And guess what happens? Guess what happens when I'm afraid and I pray and I recite scripture and I claim the name of Jesus? My fear usually starts to go away. And maybe today we can stand on who God is and we don't have to be afraid. Secondly, Moses says, fear not, but then he says, stand firm. And stand firm is ultimately just the results of us choosing to have faith instead of fear over the course of years. It enables us to stand firm and be rooted in who God is. And I think we need this today. And I'm going to step in today. Because I, I think Christians right now in this season, our country's in, we need to learn to stand firm. Because guess what's coming up? An election. It's like 10 days away. 
right? And this is what they're going to tell you. This is the most important election in our country's history. Can I tell you they say it every four years? And I don't care where you find yourself on the political map. I don't. Here's what everybody's doing. We're running around fear. If this person gets elected, our country is doomed. And if this person gets elected, our country is doomed. And can I, I just want you to know, as your leader, I could care less who is president because my hope is not in a president. My hope is not in a politician. My hope is not in a policy. It's always been and it always will be in Jesus. And guess what? God knows who's going to be present. He ordained it from the beginning of time. And so stop worrying about it. Trust in him. Stand firm on who your God is. And then third, Moses says, when you don't, when you aren't afraid and when you stand firm, guess what we do? We be still. And stillness is not an excuse not to do what you should do. This is not an excuse to be lazy as Christians. Like, oh, I'm just banking on God and I'm not going to do anything. Shame on you. But be still means I'm going to bank on God more than I bank on me. I'm going to trust God and his ability and his capability more than I bank on my own power and might. Stillness. But remember, stillness in our culture is weakness, right? And maybe we just need to be okay being weak. Because the Bible says, actually, when you're weak, you're at your strongest. Apostle Paul says, hey, for when my power is made perfect. I don't know about you, but I want my power to be made perfect. Guess what you got to choose? Weakness. Stillness. Because when you're still, when you be still, you'll know he is God. Because his power will rest on you. It will rest on you. Because you can boast all the more gladly about your weakness because his power will be right there for you. And God taught me this in, in a really difficult season in my life, what it looks like to be still. Because when Ashley and I got married, um, three years into our marriage, we decided we want to have kids and we thought it would be a pretty fast process and it wasn't. It was agonizing, it was long, and, and there was a point where we didn't think we were going to be able to have kids. And our response to that news was, we did everything in our own power to fix that problem. We went to doctor after doctor after doctor. We tried weird medicine. We tried vitamins. and well, We didn't. Ashley did, just so you know. Ashley was doing all that hard work. But we, we tried to fix it. And I remember God just whispering in my heart like four years into the journey. He just said, Drew, will you just let me be God? Will you just let me be God? Because I don't know if you, you, you don't remember this or not, but no pill or no doctor or no medicine has ever given life. I can only do that. And he just reminded me, like, hey, just let me be God. And maybe, maybe someone here today or watching online needs to just hear that. In your present circumstances, would you just let God be God? Would you just be still in his presence and trust that he's God? He'll take care of you. And it might not be what you want, but I promise he'll come through because he always does. And when we choose to, to not be afraid, and when we choose to stand rooted in who God is, banking on his capability, guess what we get to do? We get to step back from our circumstances. We get to grab our popcorn and we get to watch God work. That's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. When they stepped back and they learned stillness, guess what God did? He parted a sea. 
And I think in Christianity today, we've lost the audacity, we've lost the confidence to have faith in God. And I'm not talking about a belief in God, I'm talking about a faith that, that, that sees God's provision before you ever see the evidence of it. Where you see and you believe and you trust God is going to work on your behalf even though you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> when Ashley and I couldn't get pregnant, one of my buddies, he was a pastor, he's a big faith guy, I look up to him in so many ways. And I was just expressing my, my frustration and my struggle. And, and he looked at me and he said, Drew, here's what you need to do. He says, go buy a crib. Go buy a crib. And you just let God know that you're believing he's going to come through even though you don't feel like he's going to. Go get that crib. And today, I, as Christians, I hope we have almost the audacity, almost that much confidence in God that we believe he's going to come through for us. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they're getting ready to face a fiery furnace because they won't bow down to a statue, and they look at a king and they say, hey, you can throw us in the fire. But we believe with all of our hearts that God's going to spare us from that fire. So throw us in. We'll have a couple s'mores. We'll roast a couple marshmallows. And we'll come back, and you'll see how big and how mighty our God. But even if he doesn't, we still trust in him. That's faith today. Maybe we expect a little more out of a huge God. Because when we follow his recipe of trust, we get to watch him work in ways that only he can. And that's when we know who God is best. So would you pray with me? God, help us. I know it's not easy when you're looking at a sea that you can't cross and you're trapped and an army's coming after you to have doubt, to worry, to let anxiety well up in our hearts, God, today. But I pray for everybody who's facing that Red Sea or will that we would not be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because guess what? We know what our God is capable of. Help us to see that in those moments when it's not easy and it's difficult. In Jesus' name.